0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour Podcast, brought to you by The Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Jesse Driftwood. That's right, the incredible filmmaker and Instagram story creator of epic goodness is with us today. Uh, It's been a long time coming. I've been trying to get him on for a while, and it was a real honor for me to finally get to have a real conversation with Jesse Uh, This is the only show that I know of that has incredible guests like Jesse on consistently every single Tuesday. So make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review in the Apple podcast player if that's your player of choice. And also if you want to watch the YouTube video, it is available on the Golden Hour podcast YouTube channel as well. But if you're listening here, then you obviously like the audio only. All right, without any further ado, let's listen into my conversation with my good friend, Jesse Driftwood. All right, Jesse. We're here. We're rolling. It's working. Everything's good. Hello, hello. Hi. You good? You rolling? I'm great. Logic's yeah. rolling. Cameras rolling. I'm so excited to finally get you on the show here. It's yeah, been a I'm long really time happy coming. to be here. Yeah, I think uh, we were just talking about this before we were rolling, but uh, I really like when I discovered your content. I was like, that guy is totally my friend. Like, if we <laughs> okay. met. If we met in real life, I feel like we would just be best buds. So You
1: know, and that's something I actually really like about YouTube is I've had that feeling with a lot of different people whose videos that I watch (laughs) and in a way that when you're watching TV, you can't just see a character or even an actor and think we could be friends.
0: Whereas on YouTube, it's like,
1: (laughs) no, you can, you can just literally be their friend
0: yeah exactly i mean i i was joking with somebody recently about how like the only reason i make reviews and make content is so that i have an excuse to hang out with all these amazing people on the internet so i've even
1: thought like if the day comes where i delete all of my social media
0: how will i stay in touch with like all the friends (laughs) you know i i don't want them to not be my friends anymore i know exactly and I'm I'm having that same debate about like considering hopping over to like a more entertainment niche and mm. pursuing comedy and stuff outside of the camera gear world. And I'm like, but I don't want to lose all my friends. But I guess that wouldn't necessarily happen, right?
1: It doesn't necessarily, but it, it is a fear. And I also think <laughs> this year, too, I've seen so many people. I'm sure you have as well in our niche. <laughs> Niche, niche whatever you niche, want to call whatever
0: it whatever you want to call it yeah um, it's it goes both have,
1: ways yeah that have branched out from the camera specific world of it so many people you know we saw Levi kind of went back to his roots out of as much camera stuff more into the the adventure filmmaking but more into the yeah. van life stuff uh Cody Blue um was it Cody mm-hmm.
0: yeah Cody switched completely yeah, switched, into the travel stuff too travel yeah. stuff
1: who else I mean I, I've seen this a bunch of times and most of those people have had a similar experience, which is once you switch, your views drop, you know, because a lot of the <laughs> subscribers yeah. were signed up for a very specific thing. And then when you say, hey, I'm not going to do that thing anymore. They, they disappear or they don't watch I mean, whatever that's to be expected. But then most of them have had the experience where I don't know how long it takes, maybe it takes a few months, but eventually you find that audience or rather that audience probably finds you and you're able to, pick it back up and if anything i would imagine branching out i bet most of those niches are actually bigger than than the very specific (laughs) specific camera niche that we exist in right now
0: yeah that's been kind of my debate and it's something that you and i talked about on clubhouse a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago Mm -hmm. which by the way that app is hilarious isn't it yes it is <laughs> There's so many experts on that app and a lot of conversations that I've jumped into. Have you ever like seen a couple of your friends in a in a Clubhouse and then and you want to join but you don't want them to see that you've joined so you just don't join because you know that if you join they'll see you pop in and then pop out real quick, you know what I mean?
1: Yep, I'm always
0: I'm always
1: <laughs> self-conscious about that. Especially because I don't know, does the app show you how many people are tuned in before you click it? I can't remember.
0: Yeah, I think it'll show you like. Oh, that's helpful. Well, sometimes it'll tell you like a couple hundred or something. So if there's like a thousand people in it, then I, I have no problem jumping in. But right, but uh, it's like sometimes like you'll see five a, people.
1: Yeah, sometimes you see a it's friend a, on Instagram Live or something, and you're like, "Oh, I wonder what they're up to." And it's like two people are watching, and now you're one of them. You're like,
0: how do I leave and not yeah, look like, like a jerk? It's like Tyler Stallman with like three people and then you pop in and he's like, oh, hey, Jesse. And then you're just like, like, all right, (laughs) here we go. (laughs) It's like, all right, if you click into this, you have to commit. But yeah, no, we were talking about this, about how like there's so many people in other niches like I was I kind of got into a guitar like binge a while ago, I bought some new guitars and like mm. I used to play and stuff. Nice. And I realized like your basic like average middle class guitar YouTuber has like a million subs. Like that's super normal. Oh, and like there's just more people interested in guitars than cameras. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I, well, I think music in general. There's there's so
1: many music channels, and the thing is, I feel like the the niche of music. Is so big, but it also breaks off into other niches of music. You know, so guitar or recording or audiophile technology, or you know, or people make videos specifically on uh, like beat making apps for your phone. And I think each of those niches is like as big as the camera one. And there's a lot of crossover between. So you might love an Andrew Huang video for all of the that what's that synthesized cabley stuff. And then, and and then watch that and suddenly watch a Ryan, what's that, what's, Beto, what's that guy's name? He does guitar stuff.
0: Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not familiar. Know.
1: Something Beto. And, and even though their channels are like so separate from each other, I think the audience is interested often in both or can, or can yeah, pull totally. information from both. Whereas, I mean, every time you see someone in our niche, make a video like here's actual techniques on storytelling people are like, shut up. <laughs> Tell me about cinematic cameras. You're like, oh. that's, what,
0: that's what's so frustrating, right? Is like you can build this like really beautiful film or something that is just a creative passion. And you think like, oh, this really lines up with my niche. But mm-hmm. because it doesn't have A7S in the title, like nobody's going to click on it. Nobody watches it.
1: Yep. And so we're often stuck in this world where... Even if there's something else we want to talk about in filmmaking, in storytelling, you often have to find a way to package it, let's say, into something that your audience or the average audience of this content is going to watch, which is honestly
0: Kind of exhausting, but no. The way that you've packaged your material is exactly what I was trying to do with my stuff as well, and that's blending entertainment, blending comedy, blending fun into this niche that just takes itself way too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but like I have had a real battle with that because half of the time people, you know, love it, and, and those are the the subscribers and the fans. But then say you get an NDA product and you're one of the early people to review that product or whatever you get all these people that don't know who you are. And it's just like an endless amount of comments about <sighs> you're yeah. an idiot. You're stupid. You're like so dorky yeah. and ridiculous. And like, obviously I don't like you kind of have to have a thick skin to, to play this game, mm-hmm. but I don't know, like sexy camera boy, like Sam Calder, Peter McKinnon, like they seem to do, better because they're more serious do you know what i mean like yeah I, I am mean, i overthinking I, it or no no I, no I think
1: you're i think you're you're fully on there i mean i've never referred to peter a sexy camera boy he's a <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's a he's a
1: longtime friend of mine um i mean even peter i think is somewhat of an anomaly in the he space is, i think he's just he's truly, extremely entertaining
0: too so he's
1: built for this he's i mean he was a magician. He taught workshops to magicians on how to incorporate storytelling into magic. So he has this incredible skill set to not only speak to a live audience and be entertaining, you know, he has the entertaining background, but also he knows how to deal with hecklers. He knows how to do all these things that you don't really learn outside yeah. of outside
0: of that world. Um, Did but- you know that I met... Uh, Peter at a magic conference, magic live in Vegas, like oh, that's so nine funny. years ago. That's so funny. He was still working for still motion at the time.
1: Peter was working at still motion at the time. What's funny is Peter got that job over me. I had applied for the no same way. job. So a bunch of people applied for it. Me, my wedding filmmaking business partner at the time, Peter and one other person, the four of us got interviews and, uh, that's amazing. Peter got it. And honestly, even at that point, he was way more qualified for the job than I was. So, uh. I don't. Well, res- yeah. I mean, I at that
0: time, him. I was doing magic full time, and then I was shooting weddings on the weekends. And, gosh, I guess we're going way back to what two thousand nine, two thousand ten yep, now. Yeah. And uh, still motion was like the king yeah, of the world at, at yeah. that time, and. Um, yeah, I mean, it was such a crazy time and I just ran into him at a convention. He was like filming with a seven D at a magic conference. I was like, Oh, cool, seven D, I have one of those. And he's right. like, Yeah, I do weddings and stuff. I work for Still Motion. I'm like, Oh, I know Still Motion. But anyway, so you knew you knew Peter uh yep. back then before yep, before everything. And I also just knew of him because of that one interaction. And when he started blowing up, it was like, Oh, it's that guy from the magic conference. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think he was just
1: built for it. Now there is obviously there's also this like there is the real sexy boy travel vlogger. There's so many of them. You know, Sam Colder comes to mind,
0: and, and I, I even want to <laughs> be careful Sam. because I want to interview him so bad. I would well, love yeah, to I want to be it. careful
1: because I have no like that dude is so much more talented of a filmmaker so than talented. I am. He's he's just actually, and so I think it's almost easy to like. Put him him. in a box yeah well because it's like what you're better than me and you're better looking than me (laughs) that's
0: not fair did you stack the deck yeah it's like all these comedians talking about ryan reynolds and how upset they are about ryan reynolds because he's attractive he's a great actor and he's funny yeah Yeah.
1: it's not fair some people just have it all but but who knows you know maybe sam cries himself to sleep at night i don't know right (laughs) it's easy to just to think they have it all when yeah, that's and rarely if, the if case. Any
0: of those boys are listening right now. We don't mean anything but love towards you, and I would love to uh, interview both and uh, get to know you both. But right. I, I, so would I. I just have found for myself doing really, like I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna put entertainment first mm-hmm. and then information second. That was always my direction, and I feel like for you, like you're so focused on your entertainment value is so much higher than most uh, YouTubers that Thank you. like, is that a struggle for you to balance like, or you, is it just you being yourself? That's the thing. I well, feel like you're just a funny guy.
1: If I break it all down, like the only reason I make video is because it ties me back to my, my youthful self of making skate videos. I always made videos because I, I wanted to. And so if I'm making content, that's just educational. Yeah, I just don't want to do it because, as much as my mom always told me, you know, you should get into teaching. You should be a teacher. You're a great teacher. It doesn't (laughs) it doesn't excite me, and so I think there is a a a certain skill set that I seem to have sometimes where I am able to help articulate things for people, but at the same time, I if I don't enjoy doing it, I don't want to do it. So a lot of the reason that I you know, include some of the entertainment stuff is just because that's me enjoying the process. And if I don't enjoy the process, I'm not going to do it. And now that I'm at a point where I have contracts with brands and there's like a certain amount of videos I need to make, um, I, I really have to be on top of, you know, making sure I still like doing it because contractual, contractually,
0: I have to keep doing it. Sure. Um, you said process like an American, was that intentional? Did I say process or do people say process? Uh, Canadians say process.
1: I say processed cheese and <laughs> like trust the process, like that basketball thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're
1: different words for me.
0: <laughs> it's a completely off topic, but uh, an interesting observation, none the least. And um, funny
1: enough, I spent the this whole morning, actually, before this call, I've been writing a script that will probably be one of my first forays into a more... Um, educational video, a video that's more focused on the content than um, the entertainment value of it. Yeah. So I've been working on this script that's less edutainment and more just about the content. And we'll see what happens when I actually edit it because yeah. you know, who knows, but um, th- I do find that packaging it into a more entertaining format is the hardest part so it's the funnest part but it's also the most complicated part of the process and so the less um maybe like present I am in my life like the more stressed anxious whatever you know the as my how would I put this as my life feels cloudier creating those same edutainment type videos gets harder and we're just in the middle of like weird renovation stuff. The studio's got weird renovation stuff. So it's, it's hard for me to think of uh, ways to make them uh, entertaining all the time. And so I just thought, you know what, why not just go into the, do the opposite route that I normally do and just try and make this more content focused and see how it does. I've never really tried to make a video that's just about um, the education aspect of it.
0: Yeah. I'm interested to to see it. I'm sure it'll do really well. And I've played around with that as well and have thought about doing a course series and and things like that um and i think that the truth is is people just love jesse driftwood and love just hanging out with you and when when people watch your content it does feel like you're just hanging out and that's the thing that really comes across through the lens of the camera and something that I'm sure has just come through a lot of repetition of just filming yourself and being natural. I know for me, uh, being, you know, an entertainer previously, there is kind of this on off switch that I will do. I turn the camera on, like, Hey guys, today we're talking right, right. about the, you know, and so I have to kind of like figure out how to ride that dial. Cause sometimes you do want that presenter yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and then sometimes you don't. So, no, I, I think you're completely right, and I, it's it's the
1: nicest thing that I get from people in comments is exactly what you just said, um, which is that people will say watching the videos feels like they're just hanging out with a friend, and that is the nicest thing that people could say about my videos. The meanest thing people could say, just kidding, uh, but they say that too, um, and so I don't know exactly um, what that is, I don't have any entertainment. Ba- I don't really have any backgrounds, honestly. I like, <laughs> like quite the, the, the You're brief, a wedding shooter, right? So, well, yeah, but even that was like an accident. You know, the, the, the quickest way I could tell my story into filmmaking is like, I made skate videos for fun as a kid in high school. If I could, I'd make a video for a project. I tried to go to school for communications and media. It was garbage, dropped out, started traveling. Traveling made me make videos to send to my mom. I liked making videos. Got home and I was like, I should keep making videos. So I bought a camera and then someone was like, Hey, my sister's getting wedding or getting married. Will you shoot the wedding? And I was like, I guess so. And then I shot weddings for a while. Like that's <laughs> and I just I just did it because I was like, Well, I want to make videos and people will pay me to make these videos. And so I just did that. And then eventually, you know, it just kind of evolved until I got here, just like constantly chasing down. How do I keep enjoying this process as long as I can? Uh, and where does that take me? And right now it's YouTube. It might not be a year from now. I, I really don't know. Maybe I'll do what you did. I'll, you know, I'll move to Nashville or I'll...
0: Think, <laughs> work
1: for Indie Mogul. Yeah, work for Indie Mogul. I don't know. I'll take
0: over Kino Tikna. Kino yeah. I mean, so what? what is your daily life right now? Like, are you also doing a ton of other kind of like freelance projects while also maintaining your oh, no, online not right presence? Now.
1: not at all right now. Um, my daily life right now is so chaotic. Uh, and largely it's because we, we've been doing these renovations and stuff and we've got this new building in the works and like, it's all just going so much slower. And then you mix the pandemic into it. Yeah. And I, I, I tell people this all the time. Like I am not at least I'm not, first and foremost, an entrepreneur. It's just not how my brain operates. So I almost never go to the place like, how do I build a business? How do I build a brand? How do I make this into something? I've never once had the thought, like, I want to grow this to be bigger than a corridor digital thing or anything like that. I've thought I'd like to be a part of something like that, um, but it's not what you know keeps me going. And so... As regular life has been getting more stressful just by the nature of growing up, uh, I just decided I wanted to slow down um, i don't I don't need to make more videos and if I force myself to make more videos at least right now I'll start resenting the process more and if I resent <laughs> the process more you know that maybe I won't do YouTube in a year becomes I won't be doing YouTube in three months mm. a- and I'm, I'm really. I I don't want that to happen um, sooner than it has to happen. Does that make sense? You know, I don't actually know if it's going to happen. But if it's in the cards for me, then great. I'll let it go and I'll do something else. But I don't want to force that to happen by becoming something I'm not. Like trying to be ultra entrepreneurial, trying to grow this into some massive brand that I can, I don't know, do something with. Uh, I know that if I do that, I'll be being someone that I'm not right now. And if I do that, I'll just resent it.
0: So are you like a full time, like all your money right now is coming from from YouTube, essentially?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I have a, a diversity of revenue streams. You know, I've got my online course with Moment that I'm still obviously still selling. Um, yeah. There's random things like Epidemic Sound and Musicbed Affiliate Links, Amazon, you know there is a bit of youtube ad revenue there's a small like occasionally i'll do some instagram deals occasionally uh not occasionally most of my youtube videos i will incorporate an ad into them um yeah it's it's spread out between that in like last year 2019 sorry two years ago i guess i was doing more social media projects for other brands um, spe- specifically, I was making Instagram stories for brands like Lululemon and Stoke Coffee and HP, the printer company, not the steak sauce company in Canada. Um, but with the, <laughs> I, with the I pandemic, have thought
0: that. <laughs>
1: oh, that might not be an American thing. I don't know. It's like a one no. steak sauce, but HP stands for house of parliament, which in retrospect is Canadian.
0: There you go. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: you know, since the pandemic, I have pretty much done no um, social media content for other brands, which is interesting. Part of that comes down to the fact that I was often being invited out to other places to travel in order yeah. to make that content for people. It was less often that they're like, we'll send you a a product and you can make a little video for us to post. It was more so they were hosting an event or a learning experience or something like that. And they wanted me to document the process in the way that I do for them to share. So with the lack of traveling going on, I just haven't been doing that.
0: Um, Can we talk about Instagram and like your rise to fame on Instagram? Because I think it's a really interesting story and it's kind of part of like your, your recent video, everything I know about Instagram stories you posted three weeks ago. It's a great video. Everybody go watch it on your YouTube channel. Um, But just take me through the journey of like how you, created this, this new niche and this new format and how you just kind of blew up on Instagram. I think it's a crazy story.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't actually share this part in that video, everything I know about Instagram stories, but, uh, why not? Um, I was an (laughs) avid consumer of Vine videos. You know, Vine was just, it was so funny. I just loved watching it, but I never made a single Vine video, which is strange because I was making videos at the time, Um, but I just, I didn't, I don't know if I didn't understand it or I wasn't comfortable being on the camera, whatever reason I didn't do it. And then Snapchat became a thing and I didn't, same thing. I didn't understand it, but I watched a lot of my friends get into it and find really unique and funny ways to tell stories there as well. Never got into it myself, but because of those two experiences, I was like, I don't I don't want to keep watching these new platforms arise, watch everyone else do interesting things, build careers, whatever, and then just sit back as a spectator. So when Instagram stories came out, it's not even just that I had the idea to be like, this is my time. But my friend Zach, who was my wedding partner, posted an Instagram story where he had that like the puppy dog filter and I was like, "Whoa! I didn't know Instagram had that because they didn't at the time. Only Snapchat did." And he said, "If you go to post a story and you swipe up, you're able to import videos." And I was like, oh, "That's amazing!" I was so excited because Instagram wasn't really touting that as a feature at the time. It was my understanding was like you could just put a photo there that would disappear. Um, but that's what got the gears turning. I was like, "Oh." I don't need to record the videos in this app. It doesn't need to be restricted to how the app tells you to use it. And so I had a little Sony RX100 Mark IV at the time. And I decided to just shoot a slow motion shot of myself vertically, taking a bite of a donut while spinning in circles as fast as I could. It's not a great story, um, but I posted it. And funny enough... I got so many comments going, whoa, is this the new like portrait mode on the iPhone 7 Plus or whatever it was at the time? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, how'd you do that? I was like, actually, this is funny. Peter messaged me and he said, how did you do that? And I was like, oh, I just grabbed my RX100. I shot it vertically. <laughs> I shot it in slow-mo, span around, brought it into Final Cut, rotated it, scaled it up, you know, added a little bit of music, spit it out of Final Cut, Airdropped it to my phone and uploaded it. And he was like, Yeah, that's too much work. <laughs> and I like he was one of the first people to like kind of laugh it off and like, that's too much work. And I was like, You're right. That's hilarious. And so I, I kept doing it and because Pete and I were friends. I was making all these videos and as time went on, the amount of work that went into them was so much more than what I had just described. It wasn't just here's a slow motion shot, you know, export upload kind of thing. It was here's a day's worth of filming import, turn it into something, export, airdrop, upload. And this was also during the time of Peter McKinnon's, you know, somewhat iconic rise uh, to fame, to success on YouTube. So he had about just over 300,000 subscribers when we started talking about this. And he asked, you know, would you want to come on my channel and make a video about this? And at that point, I had no ambitions towards becoming a social media personality. I had no thoughts of becoming a a YouTuber, really. It was just, I don't know. I just hadn't really considered it. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I could do that. Um, and he was like, great, does Tuesday work? And I was like, what, what do you mean Tuesday? I thought this was more like when someone says, we should hang out sometime. And I say, for sure. And then we don't. Um, but he, because again, he's so built exactly for where he is now. He was like, no, 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 we, he was very like pragmatic about it. Like, okay, so Tuesday you'll come, we'll set this up. Let's chat through some notes, some things you'd want to share. And if if it wasn't for him kind of giving me that kickstart, like kicking me in the butt and saying, here are the things you'll have to consider when making a YouTube video. You'll need points you want to hit on. We can't just make it up as we go. Um, I was actually able to be like, okay, yeah, I can, I can come to your house Talk to a camera, which I had never really done before that, and make a YouTube video and it it did really well. You know, he Is that the
0: start crushing your Instagram stories? Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One one point two million views on it now. That was in two thousand seventeen. Yep. Uh so that was like right during his kind of rise.
1: Yeah, that was that first year where he grew to a million. So I think he was around I think he had just hit four hundred thousand right around when we posted that. Um Yeah, that's crazy. I grew to like 10 or 20,000 followers on Instagram pretty much overnight from that video. Um, And that's when I really thought I should consider this not as just a platform for fun. Because again, when I watched Vine and Snapchat, the thing that I was most envious of was how much fun people were having making these funny videos that, you know, at the time there was no set formula. There was no one saying a video has to be like this. A video has to be like this. Um, whereas when you research filmmaking, there are so many rules to filmmaking, the 180 degree rule, the shutter angle rule. And so what attracted me most was there really aren't any rules and you can just have fun with it. But again, yeah, when I made that video with Peter and I started getting followers, the idea of this could be fun and profitable.
0: And I, (laughs) and I don't
1: mean profitable, like in a purely... Like, give me the money away. But it was like, I might not have to keep shooting weddings. And I yep. didn't want to shoot weddings. You know, I loved shooting weddings. I hated editing weddings. Me too. And, and I always <laughs> knew, in fact, Still Motion was kind of, they were kind of not only the front runners of making great wedding films, they were kind of the front runners of showing wedding filmmakers could make it elsewhere. You know, they were making ads for the Super Bowl and all this stuff. And so kind of thinking of that path, like there is a way out uh, for me. It doesn't have to be commercials. It doesn't have to be traditional filmmaking. But if I look at what Peter's done and I look at this audience that's growing on my channel, I could really make something of this. And I did. So I just focused on being consistent, creating those stories every day, because at least at that time, that's what people were looking for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was such a crazy time. That was also during... Uh, the Casey Neistat era as oh, well yeah. of the daily vlogs. Mm-hmm. Did, was that an inspiration to you as well, watching Casey?
1: Yeah, there's a there's kind of a fun story there. Um, I had been, I'm trying to, I don't want to get my timelines mixed up, uh, but I actually did make a couple quasi family vlogs before I was doing Instagram stories. Um, and the story around that's a bit more obscure. But at that time I was watching Casey Neistat vlogs daily, not with the aspiration to do it, just with uh, a certain fascination because I didn't know daily vlogging was a thing. I wasn't huge into YouTube. I didn't watch any other vloggers. And I was in Singapore at the time because my wife's uh, parents were living out there. And she was watching me watch his videos while just, you know, taking some memory videos in Singapore. And she said, you know, I think you could do that. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. She said, well, (laughs) you don't have to do that but she said I think you could do your version of that and 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 that's what like really helped me realize yeah like I don't I don't need to necessarily do what Casey's doing it doesn't need to be a daily YouTube vlog it doesn't need to be that style that format that skateboarding I don't know well I guess I did do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> the one wheel
1: um, yeah and so that was really kind of inspiring to me to think maybe Instagram stories, at least at that time, uh, is my version of that. Maybe I'm not a daily YouTuber necessarily, but there's kind of something to this idea of being, making these like fun in the moment videos and turning them out uh, quickly.
0: And the fact that they disappear after 24 hours, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that you would put that much effort into a disposable video. Yeah, it got to
1: the point I was spending sometimes six hours just on the edit, you know, and because I was still a wedding filmmaker at the time, I'd spend my days editing weddings and then I'd go home, do dinner and bedtime with the kids. And then once my wife and kids were all to sleep, that's when I would start editing the Instagram stories. And I'm sure you can imagine if, uh, if you don't start editing until 11 and you're spending, you know, four to six hours, naturally my sleep started to suffer, which was, you know, you spend a year or two doing that and it eventually you're going to hit a wall. You're going to say, yeah, this, something's got to change. It's not a sustainable uh, workflow forever.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I work the exact same way with my YouTube life because I have two kids as well. And it was a similar situation for me, but uh, I don't know. I'm a kind of a night owl anyway. So like I love working at night cause nobody's awake. You don't get any emails. Nobody's messaging you. It's such a great time to focus and uh, just crank out work. Yeah. I'm, just I'm, a way, uh,
1: I'm a way more efficient editor at night and it's, it's like, it sucks because it's just not practical when you have kids.
0: Or when you're working with clients too, mm-hmm, who are like mm-hmm. working on a normal like monday is always the day where you get all the revisions and the the emails right and then you got to be you got to be there but if you're asleep till noon then uh, it doesn't work out so well your most viewed video on your channel is flying with a 9 month old oh my <laughs> so- goodness
1: that's so funny that's actually one of those videos i made in singapore um which i originally they weren't even youtube videos i actually made a bunch of videos in singapore and i can't remember you know, who kind of coined this style. And just so you know, I butchered the style in those videos. But they were videos, they didn't have music, really. They were just fast cut, like audio, uh, you know, few second shot after few second shot. And I just put them on Facebook, like on my Facebook at the time, just as if you were posting a new profile photo. I just thought, yeah, I'll show my friends and family, not an audience, like my actual friends and family, because at the time, (laughs) that's what Facebook was. It wasn't networking. That's crazy. uh, What we're up to. And then I think it was, yeah, around the time when my wife was like, you could do what he does. I decided um, I should repost those onto YouTube and just see what happens. And, you know, they they got like a couple hundred views, something like that. And for some reason that flying with a nine-month-old, which in retrospect, it's an obvious reason, uh, that video just really took off and maybe two years later it just suddenly it hit the algorithm and it skyrocketed
0: <laughs> 1.7 million views yeah it's i mean it's the kind what's of the, video that people are always going to search yeah i mean
1: it, it's it's exactly that it's the type of video that people will always search any family who has a baby of a specific age and they're maybe going to go on their first trip a lot of people just go to youtube and go like how to fly with a baby because if you've never done it <laughs> it's, <awful>. it's terrifying, <laughs> like going into it the first time, what if they don't sleep? Are people going to hate me? What should I do? And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people probably didn't like that video also in retrospect, because it wasn't a, here's what to do. It was literally just a video of me flying with my nine month old, you know, and being in Singapore. But um, But again, that also for me showed like, hey, if you if you can find the right topics for videos, even if they don't like pop off right away, if it's the type of thing that people are going to keep searching for over time, I think people call that what, evergreen content, um, then then, yeah, then there's something you can do with that. And I actually wanna focus more on making specifically evergreen content just because I, I think it's more fun. I like the idea of making a video that's gonna be helpful for people um, not just this week that the new camera is announced, but that people are going to be able to reference for years to come. And in fact, especially I've done videos reviewing various electric vehicles and all yeah, those your, videos. Your
0: one wheel videos are yeah, they do well. in the top tier of your videos as well. Yeah. And so. like
1: I did one on like a knockoff one wheel and that video totally flopped, you know, at like maybe 20% of Average views for me in that first week, two weeks. But, but again, it's the kind of video that people are searching for because one wheels are expensive. So people are Googling cheaper alternative to one wheel or whatever they're searching. And then that video comes up and now that video is it's over a hundred thousand views for a video that maybe got, you know, three or 4,000 views, um, at the beginning and, and, it, and it was like one of my favorite videos I've ever made. So I, I want to make more videos like that where I, first of all, don't just become a slave to YouTube analytics, right? <laughs> I know, I'm sure right? we've, we've both been there where you're just watching like how many people are commenting, how many likes versus dislikes, how, how many views is, is this first place, second place, third place for the first three hours. Whereas when I'm working on a video with the knowledge beforehand that like, my audience is not going to care for this. It's going to be a bit of a flop. Um, I can let go of that stressful environment of watching, you know, the stats. And there's certain, like a certain kind of confidence in in knowing that over time, more people
0: will see this video. Absolutely. My good friend, Jevin Dovey, he has yep. these videos. Um, do you know Jevin? Yep. You know Jevin. Yeah, he does these drone like tutorials are like 40 minutes long or something. He'll do like a 40 minute Mavic Mini 2 beginners guide kind of thing. And you know, his subscribers aren't like clamoring to watch a 40 minute beginners guide video, right. but over like a year, two years, like it starts to just get more and more views. I think now all of his beginner guides videos have like over a million views. It's insane. Yeah, and
1: it it makes it makes so much sense because your subscribers, if you're going to click on a video the second it goes live, it can't be an hour long. It, because <laughs> what, what are the odds that all of your subscribers have that much time that's just freely available the moment you give it to them? Whereas if you put out a six-minute video on the hot new lens of the day or whatever, people are going to watch it because it's a hot topic. They want to talk about it. But once it's not a hot topic, who cares, Right. But if you can make quality, informative content that people are going to continue to need for years to come, I think that's a really smart, long play. And drones are just getting more and more popular. So people are going to keep going back to those training videos that he made. My father-in-law bought a drone. Because he
0: just <laughs> yeah. he just
1: was like that's so
0: cool and who knows maybe he's one of Jevin Dovey's I don't know about subscribers <laughs> yeah. my, but my father in law I was we had uh like breakfast uh, we were over at his house for Christmas and he's like you know I've been watching this uh, this guy uh, Jevin Dovey recently that's I'm so like funny. what <laughs> I call him like every week yeah <laughs> that's so funny um what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made along your journey as a content creator? And, and, you know, how can you share that with people who, who are listening, who maybe are just getting started?
1: Ooh, I mean, I'll, I'll share one of what I think is one of my biggest mistakes that I don't know is a super teachable moment. And then we'll get into some other ones, but for the, <laughs> sure. for the first, I don't know, maybe year, maybe more even where I was like blowing up on Instagram I had this idea. I was like, I'm going to respond to every single DM. You know, there's this stereotype that influencers don't care and they don't want to interact. And I just like, because I'm such a, a community focused person, you know, most of my life is here in my city, a part of like my filmmaking community, my actual city community, my church community. I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it different. And so I responded to every Instagram story, which for maybe 18 months was about, anywhere between 80 and 200 dms a day and the problem is it's not even just that you respond to those messages it's when you respond they respond back and then you <laughs> respond and it's like i i in order to maintain that i became a slave to my phone which anyone who's had to do that it's like it'll kill you yeah i Especially mean maybe with a wife
0: and kids <laughs>
1: yes exactly it's like when would i have time i'm like well i gotta go to the bathroom and i'd take a 30 minute poop, but I'm actually just responding to DMs. (laughs) Sorry, everyone who ever got my DMs and just found out it was a poop DM. Uh, Uh, They always are. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, I got too wrapped up in what are people saying? How are they reacting? What does this mean about my future videos? Uh, Am I really being the like different version of an influencer that I always wanted to be or thought I could be? But then the day that I worked on that Casey Neistat, um, like Christmas uh, mall video uh, where I, the first day I made an Instagram story just like kind of teasing. And it was just like, you could see a little bit of this abandoned mall. I got over 600 DMs that day of people being like, Oh, you're on the Casey Neistat show with Brandon McKinnon and Jesse uh, Wells or well, or whatever it is. Um, And that was the day that I had to say, yep, can't do it anymore. I just, there's no way I could possibly reply To 600 people and and then main and maintain it yeah
0: so what was what was that video that was the KC neistat christmas video where he yeah we turned an abandoned
1: mall into like a winter wonderland for the boys and girls club of america and it was what a fantastic experience overall
0: that was you were with uh peter yeah so he
1: actually called me like maybe the day before leaving and he was working on it he basically said Hey, um, the more I talk with Casey and Jesse about this project, the more I'm realizing I won't be able to make any of my YouTube videos while I'm there. But he's still in his, you know, meteoric rise at the time, and so he knows he can't drop the ball. So he said, "Will you come with me and basically like shoot, edit, produce my YouTube videos?" Okay. And I didn't have while, any while he's there. Yeah, doing while this. he's there, exactly. So when we get free time, we'll set up a shot in the hotel room shoot some talking head go out into the street shoot a tutorial so we did a few videos like that that's
0: um, cool in the first couple days
1: yeah and then but the thing is when i finally met casey on the shoot um as it was gearing up we were there about a week he kind of came up was like no you do this now i was like okay mr casey yes sir casey sir (laughs) to Uh, you (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
0: (laughs) I guess, like, Peter introduced me. Peter hired you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Peter hired me. And, you know, we got some videos out. But Casey was basically like, I don't want any focus away from this project. Um, I don't want you thinking about YouTube videos. Like, you're just shooting for this. So then, you know, I got a Note 7 or whatever it was at the time we shot it on. And, uh, yeah, like, I could be wrong on this, but, like, a good portion of the shots from that video came directly from Peter and I, which i mean to me that was like what a freaking cool experience that casey is putting a video on his youtube channel that i shot like a a substantial portion of it just really it bookended the you know the journey for me really nicely
0: i'm so i asked uh when i had levi on the show which is a mutual friend of ours levi allen uh if you haven't listened to that podcast go listen to it but one of the things that fascinates me is just the way creatives work and and their workflow and stuff what what was it like working with Casey and what do you recognize in him that like made him so great during that time Yeah, I mean
1: I'm trying to think I think that might be the only real time I've ever interacted uh with him but I'm very careful not to really make any sort of um, character judgments from that because first of all, it was like a $2 million bud- two million budget shoot. There was about a hundred people there doing set design, all this sort of stuff. Like so a that, million moving that parts. That
0: wasn't a normal Casey vlog. No, and every
1: single person that was involved, you know, the people making the snow, the their Olympic snowboarders and stuff, everyone was turning to Casey like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? So he was A, it was incredible to see how Focused, He could be and like getting everything done and also just very direct in a way that like I'm, I'm often so self-conscious. Like, how will people perceive the way I speak to them? Watching him work with these people was incredibly inspiring because he was clearly so void of it matters what you think of me. And so full of, it matters what these kids think of this entire process. So he he was so focused on the actual, not just the video he was making, but the experience he was providing for these kids. Um, and that was clearly such a, a bigger goal for him that it, it didn't matter that if someone asked him a question, he wasn't like, oh, good I- good idea. You know, I really appreciate you bringing that to me. He'd be like, yes, no, very direct, very concise Um, (laughs) and that's my only real experience with him. You know, I don't know what he's like as a dad. I don't even know what he's like as a vlogger. I only really know what he's like (laughs) as sure as a guy who can somehow command a $2 million budget with a hundred different people asking him for answers and still be focused on the experience of these kids, you know, Christmas adventure.
0: What was, what was the mistake for, for all of us? So you shared the one Mm -hmm. that relates to you, but I think that's also something that we can all learn from. I also have dealt with that. Um, my cousins are full-time um, influence. Uh, they, they wouldn't call themselves influencers. they right. like self courses, but they have a couple hundred thousand followers on Instagram and mm-hmm. they have a full-time uh, staff member that answers wow. every DM and comment. Wow! So I think at a certain point you do, you can potentially hire somebody, I guess, to do that. Yeah. But
1: yeah, you could offload it. I mean, I just, I'm making mistakes constantly honestly (laughs) um one one of the mistakes also i think has been getting too invested in the the comments and or even making videos that i'm trying to please everyone i I made a a video about the fuji x100 um v i think it was the x100 v last year and um i made it like i make any video you know i had i hadn't really considered who is the audience for this video i just thought I'm making a video for my audience, an audience that already knows me. And the,
0: the best camera you shouldn't buy. Yeah,
1: the best camera you shouldn't buy. And, and my whole thing was like, what a great camera. It's really expensive. Um it's expensive and it's nichey and it's it's most people talk about buying the X100 for the experience of shooting with that camera. It's just, you know, the dials, it's nostalgic, it feels inspiring to shoot with. And my overall point was, I was like, yeah, and that's true about all of the X100s. So if it's the experience you're after, consider buying a used one. And yo, Fuji fans went wild. (laughs) (laughs) They got so mad. Talk about the leaf shutter. I'm like, I guess so. But that's because there's nine photographers in the world that use a leaf shutter.
0: It's not true, obviously. But um. But there's also a hundred other YouTubers that reviewed it. Yeah. So I guess there's,
1: there is two different ways to look at this. Like one is make the videos you want to make, make it for your audience. The other is though, I I'm learning, I should be more mindful when I make a video, not just who my audience is, but, uh, who my audience for this video will be. And beyond that, I wish I could remember who said this recently. It might've been Levi Allen. Um, and I think he, whoever said it was quoting someone else. So doesn't matter. Um, But like stop making videos for the audience you have and make the videos for the audience that you don't yet have. So start focusing on who who can you bring in with this video. Now you obviously still have to care about your own audience and you can't just shift gears. But I really hadn't considered um, before that video who was going to watch these videos and how much context they had for me, how much context they had for the style of videos I make you know and i'm sure you've had that as well people come on like you just oh, an, yeah. you don't know anything about making videos <laughs> um so yeah you have to have thick skin but also i'm trying to be more mindful um when i make a video to think about those who have no context never saw my instagram stories never saw a youtube video about me maybe it's their first time on youtube and they're just trying to google the x100 um and so if all i do is at the beginning you know maybe put some disclaimers or try and give them the answers that they would want, you know, pretty succinctly, try and give that up front, and then I can be a bit more uh me. Um, well that's yeah.
0: I, I think Marquez Brownley just uh has said recently, and I've heard a couple people quote it, is uh every video is somebody's first video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you think about it that way, I mean that's why a lot of the YouTube experts always say like right at the very beginning, you want to say Hey, I'm Dave Mays. I review cameras and I'm really cool. Make yeah. sure to subscribe if you like cool stuff yeah. about cameras. And I have a little pushback on that. Like, I feel like it uh, kind of sucks. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, but there's probably a way to do that without it feeling so inauthentic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: I don't know. I think that's where I am right now is that there are all these formulas that the experts have said, like, here is how you make a great YouTube video. You know, you always got to do this, then this, then this, then this. And somewhat out of, um, I would say arrogance. I just thought like, (laughs) I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make a different type of YouTube channel. I'll be a different type of YouTuber. Um, which, and, and I'm not knocking that. I actually think that that is a lot of the reason that I've found success, but I, but I did it at the expense of discrediting um, all that information. Whereas I think the real goal and the real magic comes when you um, when you incorporate something, right? You bring this all together. I can take these formulas that people do know exist and use them as a, a guideline for my own personality, for my own way of making videos. And that's really where I'm at right now is like, how do I keep making videos as if I As if I don't care, you know, as if if I'm just making the videos I want to make, but, but don't assume I have all the answers. Don't assume that somehow, you know, everyone else missed the boat on figuring out what works on YouTube and I'm, you know, the golden boy that has answers, but no, really listening and considering the audience. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been honestly quite helpful for not just my video making process, but my, my brain i write scripts now i had not written any scripts for youtube videos for the i know the first couple years anyways whereas the past probably most of the past year i've pretty much written a script it's more of a guideline you know it's not points yeah it's not verbatim but helping me figure out what am i going to say uh and in which order am i going to say it and and being mindful of who's listening so um this video that i'm making I mean, I'll give you an insight. It's, it's probably not going to do super well because it's hard to explain. It's this, it's this idea that like, you know, more than you can articulate. So like there are some filmmakers can tell you exactly what they did and why they did it and explain that to you. And some can't, some people are just operating on instinct. They're operating on gut, on feeling, on taste, and they're, just as talented, right? And so just because you can't articulate why you made your video a certain way or why you chose to light it or frame it a certain way does not invalidate or discredit the quality of what you're making. Because I think articulating something and doing something are actually just two different skill sets. Articulating it is just about converting that information into language so that someone else can consume it whereas like some of the best filmmakers i know they know nothing about camera settings they know nothing about you know all yep. these rules that we think are so important um and yet they can make just stunning astonishing work so i i'm trying to find Absolutely. a way to encourage people that just because you think you don't know as much as all these knowledge experts <laughs> on clubhouse <laughs> um it 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 really isn't um descriptive of how talented you are or whether or not you can make good videos. Uh, and even to like elaborate on that, it's like, you know, you've seen all those articles on here's good composition and they tell you, you know, leading lines because what it does is it leads your viewer's eye down to, you know, down the fence to the barn at the end of the fence or whatever. And the thing they're they talk about it like this is a subconscious experience that your viewer has. But I think it's easy to forget, like, you too are a viewer, and you have also subconsciously followed leading lines. And to an extent, you're also probably subconsciously—not probably, but a lot of people are subconsciously adding those leading lines into their frames, even though they're they are not doing it um, on purpose. They're operating at a deeper level.
0: Yeah it's completely intuitive and like just a, it's a natural talent that people have and you yeah. can't articulate it. So how do I clickbait that Dave? <laughs> <laughs> the clickbait is I can't articulate this. And yeah. then it's like a picture of you just like, you know, like Yeah, I, I mean, I'm toying with confused. these ideas of
1: like, fake it till you make it. Uh, right. That's like good. You, you know more than, you know, I don't know. Still working on that <laughs> part of the script.
0: That's hilarious. What, one of the things that, I think a lot of people know and love about your your content is that the first like 60 seconds of your videos are so planned out and so insanely crazy. I, I guess it reminds people of you know your your Instagram story days. But I mean is that I'm curious about your like retention like because of that. Do you see like people obviously watch that first minute, but do you see a drop off when you stop with the crazy effects or like, how do you keep people's attention on a 10 minute video when the majority of it's you talking, but the intro is like, so eye candy that you can't take your eyes off of it.
1: I don't spend a whole lot of time in my analytics, uh, largely because I just don't really understand them. Um, so (laughs) I I, love it. I love the honesty. And (laughs) I think I have a lot of different micro audiences that make up my entire audience. So I have, some people are watching it. They're just like, I wanna see that cool editing. Some people just are there for that intro. They wanna see the Instagram storiesy, transitiony type of thing. Uh, And I think some of them might click off as soon as it just becomes a a more of a teachy video. And then the opposite is true, is people that know my Instagram stories less or my style of videos less click on it for a topic And all of a sudden, you know, there's drones crashing to the ground or whatever. And they probably go, what do you, this is not, this is not what you said it was going to be. And they (laughs) click off at that point. So this video I'm working on now is going to be one of the first where it's not, there's just no intro at all. And I think I do need to experiment with now going forward, looking at the analytics, seeing the retention, seeing when people drop off in pure educational style videos versus edutainment style videos. And I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I do know that this like constant pressure of making my YouTube intros like a new exciting thing that's different than any other YouTube intro I've made is very exhausting and it makes planning videos next to impossible, particularly because oftentimes that first minute. It doesn't even come to get like, I don't even know what it's going to be. I have rough ideas, but until I finish the edit. So, you know, how do you plan to make a thing that you don't even know how you're going to make yet? Yeah. And I don't know, but I, I do need to give myself permission to say sometimes it's okay to take the camera, hit record and talk and not everything has to be me proving that I know how to make videos. And that's, I mean, that's another lesson that I'm really learning right now, which is like, wow, I was really self-conscious making these videos that I needed to prove to people that I have the authority to talk about videos. And so in the video where I talk about videos, I also have to prove that I know how to make videos. Uh, But I just, now, you know, who cares? If you don't believe me, you don't believe me. And that's yeah. like, watch another one of my videos. Not every video has to be me flexing my filmmaking skills. Some of the videos can just be, here is the content. And, and all of my friends on YouTube have been doing this forever. You know, making videos that's just, turn on the camera at the desk, say the things, maybe add some titles, you're done. It took you two hours. And I've never made a YouTube video that didn't take me a, f- like several days maybe weeks um and i used to be maybe proud of that and now i'm just realizing i was a bit of an idiot that was downed like
0: or i was that was destined for burnout <laughs> well i don't think you're in a complete idiot at all because <laughs> you obviously have like been able to grown, uh, grow a following. And I feel like now, I mean, you're about to hit 200,000, everybody let's go subscribe. If you haven't already Jesse Driftwood, let's hit him. Let's hit 2k, 200 K. Um, but like, what's so great about being on this platform and and having longevity on it is that you can evolve and you Mm -hmm. can change. And, um, I know we keep talking about Peter, but there was a moment for him where he transitioned to just sitting behind a desk and talking and, I remember, I honestly, I'm going to be honest, I stopped watching him at that point uh, because I really was there for all the crazy Mm -hmm. stuff. But I know for a fact, like after talking to Chris Howe and Lizzie Pearson, I interviewed them. He was like, dude, Peter was getting burned out. He hired a guy and he decided to like treat it like a job and go home when he was done and like, yeah, and he also grew faster than ever by doing that. Yeah, he he
1: found a formula that was both sustainable for him on a personal level um, and that didn't slow his growth
0: yeah and i think he's transitioning back now to maybe incorporating a little bit more of the whatever like he's doing less i think he was doing like what three a week when he was blowing up right um and then now was do one a week or something but you can evolve and change as you grow on the platform and you've basically built this great foundation of super fans that will pretty much watch anything you do at this point. Yeah, that's and the
1: thing I think about a lot, actually. Is I think right now, you know, I have just shy of 200,000 subscribers, I don't know, 160 something on Instagram. But what I've realized is there's probably, let's say, 10,000 people of that that will watch anything I make. It, even if I just put up a video that was two minutes long to say, like, hey, thanks for being here, my core audience. <laughs> about maybe eight to 20,000, eight to 15,000, let's eight to 12,000. I don't know. <laughs> those, those people would watch That's a lot it. of
0: people, dude. And that That's is a lot of people. Of people.
1: And it, it's so weird. As you grow your channel, it's really easy to get bummed out on views. And then you yep. forget, do you know how many people 10,000 people is? It's
0: like, insane. It's a, so a, it's many. An arena. It's an arena.
1: Yeah. It's so, <laughs> it's like, I'm a sold out Beyonce concert. <laughs> and for some reason that should make me sad. No, of course not. So, um, yeah, trying to keep the mindset that sure, not every video is going to be a viral success and I don't need to be a 5 million subscriber channel. And I shouldn't take for granted the, the 10,000 people, the full arena of people that are, are currently watching. Yeah, exactly. it's just, it, it's a, it's a real, like it's, it's very relieving to think about it that way. <laughs>
0: Totally, and I, I have a feeling that if you if you do this transition and this video that you're talking about, and, and you're able to get into a good rhythm and a good flow, I think mm-hmm. you'll you'll see a lot of growth there because I think you're on the right track with what you're thinking about evergreen content and just providing the content right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you know Jevin and I talk almost every day. We kind of have like a YouTube accountability yeah. phone call every morning. And, uh, he's been growing a lot recently, um, because he's learning to just cut all the fluff out. Mm. And it's like the title of the video is, you know, five reasons why, I'm, you know, I hate the M one Mac or whatever Yeah, you hit, you click it. And then he says, here's reason one. Yeah. So number one is this, like, there's no setup. There's no yep. intro. It's just like, you can't take your eyes off of it. I even noticed that with like Peter, like, it's almost jarring how quick he gets into the content sometimes where it's like you click on it and he's like, yeah, I mean the camera just like really sucks at this one thing. And I'm like, Whoa, wait, what? Like you just <laughs> jump me into the video within yep. like two seconds. Um, and that's, you know, just the genre and the nature of YouTube is it's a different language than filmmaking. You don't yeah, have, it this, is a different language. You don't have the long setup time of, you know, of a film where you're sitting on a couch watching wandavision and you're there to like consume it youtube is such a passive uh entertainment source so
1: and i think i mean so many of us got into the youtube thing watching casey who was like the king of clickbaiting a video in a way that i you know i actually do really respect i'm not i'm not you know shitting on this at all um of making here's a vlog here's the most entertaining part of the vlog and make that the title and i think a lot of us were like Got into YouTube thinking, okay everything needs to be what's the word when people do like vlog reviews there's a there's what a mashup mean. of a word that people have I don't know whatever it doesn't really matter V yeah once I go there I'm like that's clearly not what they said
0: <laughs> <laughs> I' Just a vlog review like potato jet did that really well I think hmm. and Maddie and and Peter yeah
1: but I even think all of them now are probably realizing. Uh, I think audiences are a little burnt out on just fluff, you know? Oh, yeah. 100%. I, sh- and I mean, it's I, also I YouTube was a little bit at fault. You know, YouTube was really prioritizing longer videos. And yep. and it, that does and seem consistent. to be shifting. Too. Yeah, and consistency. So I think that's shifting both um, algorithmically speaking and as far as what content creators are making and what audiences are, are wanting to see. Yep, so, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. I
0: so I interviewed Hayden Hillier Smith, who's Logan Paul's editor <sighs> yeah, a couple so of weeks ago, and he talked about that and how like honestly the the big controversial you know moment for him for him and for Logan, uh, they w- were able to go to YouTube and kind of change some of the policies and they're like, look, hmm. you are incentivizing us to create daily content, to create long form you know vlogs, right. And like, if I make five videos in a week, I do better than if I do one a week that's like better than all five combined just right. because the way the algorithm works. And now it's set up to where like, if you just make a banger video uh, like Mr. Beast or like mm-hmm. Logan Paul is doing now, you can just do one a month. And like Logan's, yeah. I think like taking a three-month break anyways to nice. like train for this big boxing right, match. Yeah. And
1: Matt D'Avella has been doing the same thing, you know, for, for at least the last while. He was just doing... One video a month, just yeah. I, I think he did that for a whole year, anyways. Where a whole month is just focusing on, you know, not eating sugar or not using your phone or what you know, taking ice showers. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> and it it worked really well for him. And I also think when people can count on you, like, can count on your videos to be good, you'd hope. And I think this is happening more and more now. That the algorithm will reward that when you do finally put a video out, um, the audiences will watch it because they've now grown to trust that it's it's what they yeah. expected to see. So I want to, I definitely want to push more into that direction, um, both to see how it does for views and my channel, but also to see how it does for
0: mm-hmm. just
1: my own mental clarity.
0: There's also this flip side, though. If you're telling me you've got eight to ten thousand people that will consistently watch videos who's to say if you did 3 a week getting 8 to 10,000 views on each you multiply that by 4 a month you're going to make more money by doing yeah. that you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like your views might not be larger and you might accidentally hit one or two that's the beautiful thing about it is like i would just make videos I, when i was at kinetica on on a roll we do two a week and that mm. was the best flow for me because I would shoot, edit, upload in one day for one video. That was like, I called that my throwaway video. Oh, interesting. I would I would start at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'd finish shooting at noon, have lunch, edit the video, upload it that night, and it would go live the next day. That was my throwaway. Right. And then the next day, I would shoot all day a review. And then the, and then the day after that, I would edit all day. And then huh. the last day, edit a little bit more and upload. So within a week... I was able to do two videos a week. One was like an in-depth review and then one was a throwaway. It blew my mind that the throwaway video with no audio underneath, with no B-roll would get five times the views of the review because the content was like really easy to search. It was like topical. It was always like five reasons why you should buy the new Nikon Z6 or seven of the things that I hate about this or why you shouldn't do this or whatever. And I would just ramble. And it was so funny how those with no music, no B-roll would do better. And I don't know. I I feel like YouTube's sometimes more of an audio driven platform and not a visual as much. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean,
1: I only more recently discovered how many people listen to YouTube while they drive. They'll yep. they'll just put a YouTube video on. They can't even watch it. I hope they're not watching it. But they'll and they'll just <laughs> yeah. listen to it, or people that'll put it on a TV in the background and actually viewers find um like having an underbed of music for a whole video quite exhausting. I've noticed that the longer a video of mine is, um, the retention will be higher the less music is in it. And I just think Yeah, but- I just think because the longer that it feels like a, a music video or a, a production of sorts the harder it is to stay focused where it's like, I mean, we're having a conversation right now. Who knows how long we've we been talking like over an hour, probably like, especially see. if you consider hour pre- and 20, yeah, an hour and 20, right. It's easy to listen to someone talk for an hour when, well, first of all, if it's conversational or if it's someone who knows how
0: to talk, I mean, if it's you, then obviously people well, if will it's listen, you. <laughs> but yeah,
1: like, but you throw music under it and B roll constantly I think that 20-minute video actually, it doesn't go faster. I think it goes slower.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, you haven't obviously seen the Golden Hour podcast. I usually put like a techno beat under the whole time and just loop it. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> that's I don't, know, I don't
1: even think that's techno. That was bad beatboxing.
0: If you... Okay, so if you yeah. could have a conversation with the CEO of YouTube and and give... I think it's a, a female. I forget her name. Susan Wojcicic. Yeah, if you could tell her like... One thing that you would want the platform to do, what would you say?
1: Oh, okay. I have this thought on, I mean, I, I, I didn't come up with this thought. I think someone else said it, but I'd love if there was, um, an option. Like, would you dislike a video to actually
0: say why? Mm. I, and I don't
1: know if that would be helpful.
0: <laughs> there is a, there is a, uh, were you satisfied with this video dialogue now where you can rate it one to five stars? And then I think there's even a section to, to write your own comment on why you liked it or didn't like it. Oh, but so
1: who knows? Maybe they're experimenting with this very thing. A little bit,
0: yeah. Dislike, though, like with the dislike button, I think that would be... Are you saying you would want to have access to see those? That would be uh, yeah, pretty Yeah, I think brutal. I would.
1: I think I would be curious, especially for... <laughs> like there are videos what? that I know exactly why people are disliking it, right? The Fuji video is a great example. Uh, of course these dedicated Fuji fans and, and not even knocking them here. Of course me, not a traditional Fuji shooter who's just like, yeah, buy the old one. <laughs> <You> know, naturally, <laughs> they're like, screw you. That's not a helpful video. Um, but there are other videos where I, I'm truly just confused as to where the thumbs down's coming from. Not just mine, other channels as
0: well. I think there's people out there that are just haters that just, as soon as you upload, they, they have you on notification. I, they, yeah, like, I know those Have ones. you ever that's yeah, so at, weird. As soon as you hit you, live and it's like three
1: dislikes, and you're like,
0: what? <laughs> what? Who are these people? Like, I wish you could at least see yeah. who the subscribers are so that you could like, uh, you know, see it's the same right. three you can people. You hide them from the channel also because that hides yeah, their likes and dislikes. Yeah, it's me and Tyler Stallman and Gerald Undone, uh, you right. know.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it'd be kind of cool if when you hit dislike, maybe that just dialogue like, hey, what didn't you like about this comes up? And like, would you like this to be public to the creator? And would you like to share? I don't know. Who's going to do it? Maybe only like a small percentage of the dislikers. But from time to time, it might be value. Because I'm really, there is a problem when you discredit all criticism and call it hate. Yeah, of course. Um, It it certainly comes from quite an arrogant place, which assumes, you know, everything I did was the right thing to do. And (laughs) anyone who doesn't like it is a hater. Whereas I do want to make sure that if there are parts of who I am or what I'm doing that really are dislikable or, I mean, it, I mean for a better term, like problematic. Like if, if there's something I'm doing that is actually hurting some people, I kind of do want to know that because, sure, sure, sure. because I believe at my core, I'm a decent human being that like cares about how other people feel. Um, and if there is something real happening, yeah, I'd, I'd want to, I'd want to know that. But also, you know, it's also at the cost of you read a bunch of messages, like just the meanest responses you can imagine. <laughs> and then who knows, maybe the negative of that would outweigh the positive of the other. But honestly, in general, yeah, I've got no real suggestions for YouTube. I don't claim to know more about how YouTube should run itself. I think, honestly, anytime I hear anyone's opinion, on like, this is what Instagram needs to do, or this is what Apple needs to do. I'm like, like, you know... You're probably wrong. I, It's I just where my <laughs> brain goes, which is like there are a lot of very smart people working at these places that they're just smarter. I mean, they're certainly smarter than me. I don't know who you are listening right now, but they're probably smarter than you. And I also suspect that they're making decisions knowing people will think this isn't the right decision, but they're making them for reasons we don't fully understand, right? Like the, I'm sure they have access to more data than I do. I'm also such an optimist. So I just give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Um, <laughs> and that. that's a problem in its own. But yeah, I'm just like, I try not to spend too much time thinking about um, things that are out of my control. So if yeah. YouTube, Instagram, if they change the algorithm, okay, I'll do something different. <laughs> but because my passion isn't leading content or like making commentary content
0: on how algorithms are optimal optimal to run. Optimized yeah I do not I d I don't I don't care. Um, why canon? Why do you stick to Canon all this yeah. time when when Sony is crushing it and everybody seems Yo, to be Yo, here's switching. a funny
1: thing. I uh, I actually kinda wanna make a video about this soon. I was lightly brainstorming it this morning. Uh, because there's uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, for a period of time, I was contractually obligated. Here's some clickbait for you. Let's make this a clip. Um, no, I I I got paid to do some ads, or not to do some ads. I didn't produce them. I was starred in some ads that Canon put out around the time the EOS R came out. Yeah. Um, as like a creator who was using it, and I was using it. And they liked my Instagram stories, and they just thought, hey, would you be the character of one of, they made several, uh, one of maybe five characters that will be focused in an ad about this camera. And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like it it wasn't in exchange for gear. It was like a straight, they paid me to do it. And in order to do that, they said, you know, we do have to assign a non-compete, which makes absolute sense to me. So I think it was two years. It's expired now, but, um, we had to go back and forth on the contract a little bit basically i said that i couldn't make videos publicly stating that i was switching to a competing full-frame mirrorless camera that's all it was and i actually signed it happily because in my head if you buy a new full-frame camera uh i think you should get at least two years out of it so i just think that's a wise investment so i said to myself great like it it This camera, especially at the time, I was like, is more than I need from a camera. And so if anything, I did like having to constrict myself to say, you know what? Even if Nikon, if Sony, if Panasonic, whoever puts out a better camera in the next year, in the next two years, I don't even have to think about buying it. And it did take away (laughs) some of that pressure from me. So now, even though I'm not under that contract... You know, I still bought the R5. I ended up selling it. Make a video about that soon. The R6, I bought a C70. And quite frank, I just like them. And more than, and honestly, yeah, more than ever, the C70, you just shoot it in C-Log2. The battery lasts forever. You throw the dedicated LUT on it and you're like, wow, that's a very good image. The autofocus is good. It's small enough that it fits in any, it just like really checks every box that I can think of. And I already have lenses for it. Like I just now more than ever, I don't care about cameras because they're all so good. You really, it's just inexcusable at this point <laughs> when people yeah. put out videos on the 5D Mark two that are better than anything I've ever made today. And honestly, <laughs> better than anything. Most of us buying a seven S threes R fives, whatever are making. Um, you just got to say, <laughs> it's not the camera's fault, right? Who cares? Sure. The C70 for me is like a perfect, especially a studio camera because I can have it run forever, trust I'm in focus, throw a battery, lots of memory in it. Um, It's just... Plug it in, you got... Yeah, yeah, and and then I leave the R6 at home just for... It's got great, again, great autofocus. It's an amazing photo camera that I use for like my family photo stuff when we go on trips. They just... You, have I you noticed like the
0: them. uh i heard the r6 has like some weird color thing like it's more orange or more green is that true
1: i don't know might be <laughs> but like i grade everything individually and i've n- i don't think i've ever done you a comparison a video to the c70
0: or anything uh,
1: no i don't really like for my own videos i never run two talking head angles uh and even if i'm like if there's multiple people shooting a subject that I'm working on, on different cameras, I yeah. grade them differently and they're never going to be identical anyways, because maybe one of them has trees in the background and one has bricks in the background. Sure. So I basically just grade, try and get the like skin tones and contrast as similar as possible. And I'm, you know, I'm fine. You, and um, I've, I've what made...
0: lenses. Do you use on your C70? Are you using RF lenses or are you using the booster or what? This is okay,
1: this is a funny thing. This and I'll happily say this, this is my least favorite part um of the whole Canon ecosystem right now. Me
0: too. I hate that it's a crop sensor with the RF mount. Well,
1: it's just that like I I still use my M5 for vertical Instagram stories and I use my R6 and I use the C70 primarily with a speed booster, except Christoph uh took my speed booster a couple of weeks ago for a film shoot for his Komodo, so I haven't had it. But but it basically yeah. means that even though i want to stay in the canon ecosystem i have efm lenses ef lenses and rf lenses and that's just yeah. that's just it's a little much. bogus and i'm not a big fan of that thankfully i have had ef lenses for a really long time and that can be adapted to the r r5 r6 and the m5 and m50 so
0: i know but i wish they would make like a crop APS-C rf lens yeah. like a like a 16 to 55 to eight. This is funny with...
1: right now. I'm filming on the C70, um, with the Sigma 20 millimeter 1.4. And I love that lens, but it's a way better full it's frame huge. lens than it is a crop lens. So when I have the speed booster, cool, it's quite a unique look, but to just put it on APS-C, it's like, it's not yeah. super exciting. Exactly. Um, and then because there's no native RF wide angles for super 35, you just, you just, you have to adapt EF lenses. So even though I have a 15 to 35, which is at home, unfortunately, on the R6, and even though it, it works great on the camera, it's kind of a nice 24 to 70 ish equivalent. If I want to shoot wide on this camera, I have to adapt lenses. So I have this, where is it? Oh, yeah. I don't even know if I showed you this. I'm very fidgety. It's like, I a, love that thing. The yeah. 10, this, to yeah, yeah the the 10, 10 to 18. Yeah. 10 to 18. It's like, this thing has seen hell and it's like, it gets stuck on the zoom and focus sometimes, but uh, if I want to go wide on this camera, is what I have to use. It's not even mine. It's Josh's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you got the obviously the the gold standard, the Tokina eleven to sixteen two eight, and the uh, Sigma eighteen to thirty five one eight. I mm-hmm. did a whole shoot last week with the Sigma the entire time, yep. and as always that camera or that lens is such a, a god lens i mean it just works so beautifully on every crop body yeah and my, uh, it uh, looks looks beautiful on the my C70. sigma 18
1: to 35 was like a joint purchase with my old wedding filmmaker partner so he we have a bunch of gear that we bought together in that era that we never uh-huh. sold off because when, <laughs> when we ended that business it ended well and we it wasn't like who gets what we were like all right you just let me know if you need it, and I'll let you know if I need it, and whatever. So he's had <laughs> should, that lens for the, at least a year.
0: You should go snag it. It's it's a well, really so good lens for but the c It didn't
1: matter because Josh here at the studio also had one. Okay. And so I, I was using that for a little while, but he just sold his because he has an A7S three, and he yep. mo- he has an FS7, but he mostly uses that with a speed booster. Mm-hmm. Um, So he was like, I just don't need this lens anymore. And he actually found... Yeah. Um, selling it was not easy, certainly not selling it for uh, a decent price. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that full frame is, (laughs) well, everyone either has it or full frame is now so accessible that there's not a whole lot of people currently investing into super 35 comparatively to the past. Anyway, that's a good
0: point. And everybody, everybody's selling that lens because they're moving on to full frame. So there's like a ton of them on the market. Yeah. Which means it's a great time for you and I to buy one second yeah, hand.
1: true. And then my Tokina, I had, I have an 11 to 16 somewhere, but it's in two pieces. I smashed it They're out so of what I so loud. Yeah. yeah, very loud. So I ended up buying the 11 to 20 2.8, um, which is like the updated version of that. And I've never put it on my C70. Another friend of mine has it now for his YouTube channel. I just let him <laughs> okay. set up a thing there. But <laughs> when I used it on the R, and this is weird because it didn't happen at all on my uh, C200. When I used it on the R in 4K to make up for the crop, um, the fringing was unbelievably bad. I shot my original (laughs) one wheel pint review video. So many of the shots, it looks like I put a prism effect on like one side of my my face will have a green edge and one will have a purple edge. And I had no idea because that was the first time I had ever put it on the R, put it in 4K,
0: um, Oh my gosh, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like you have a VHS effect on the Yeah, footage. so it's
1: like some of the shots are C200 and some are R, so it like comes and goes, especially based on what lens I used. But yeah. yeah, a lot of the shots, people ask like, why Why did you do that? And I was like, I didn't. I have no idea what. And I to this day, I don't know why the C200 didn't exhibit those same issues. I don't know if it has something to do with the mirrorless sensor, like being divide, like designed for you know the micro lenses or whatever i really don't know maybe yeah um but i basically just uh, lost faith in that lens and gave it to a friend of mine
0: sigma makes those really good um m mount lenses it's like a 16 yeah. 4 a 30 4 and a 50 i wish they would do that for rf so I, I wish a lot of those. people would do
1: things for rf rf is real like canons put out amazing lenses very expensive mostly high-end lenses um but yeah sigma and tamron and tokina they've all kind of avoided it and who knows maybe they're just waiting to see that people are going to actually adapt to the system but it, yeah. it's, it's been bizarre how little third-party rf um have you love there's have, been
0: there's the uh have you thought about this uh, samyang 1428 rf it's a f- autofocus lens i feel like it would actually pair well with the c70 have you well, seen that i one? mean it
1: would but i already have the 15 to 35 to eight. and so i'm not going to sell that because i love it on my r6 Yeah, that's a good point um so it's like
0: yeah one millimeter i don't have that lens anymore it was uh well, mm. it wasn't stolen but it, i sold it thankfully that was one of the few lenses that wasn't stolen when i got robbed but
1: yeah and and i bought the speed booster so i'm i'm trying yeah, to yeah, mostly yeah. use it just as an ef camera and I, I kind of yeah. love it like that. Like, I haven't had any autofocus issues. So. It feels like full frame. It's, it's weird because it's technically not full frame and yet wider than full frame because it's DCI. So it's hard oh, to... Oh, I comp- didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. So I think if you compare it to like a native full frame sensor, I think you do actually get a bit of extra width.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I need to pick up a 16 to 35, the, the F4 one with mm-hmm, the IS with the built IS. in. I need... I need to get one of those.
1: Yeah, that, I think that's like what a great pairing for the C70 on a speed booster. I don't have a 16 and 35, but Christoph does. So I just use his on the speed booster and voila. And if not, I use the Sigma 20, which I've owned for a long time.
0: What LUT do you use for a uh, C200 to kind of get it out of log? Do you just use the Canon? The well, well one or... yeah, my
1: C200 is gone now. But yeah, for the C70, I just use the whatever the official Canon, the Canon has so many official LUTs. Like I downloaded a pack that has like a hundred from Canon. I know. It's not a hundred. I don't know
0: which one to use. And I couldn't figure it out.
1: So I actually texted Gerald on I was like, hey, I know you've done this. And then uh, he's like, yeah, I'll send you like the right one. And I don't remember the name of it offhand, but he sent me an email called, I like big LUTs and I cannot lie.
0: <laughs>
1: and I think about that all the time because anytime someone else films with my camera, they're like, hey, what LUT? And I just forward them Gerald's yeah. email
0: could you forward that to me honestly yeah, yeah for sure yeah okay. it's like
1: the the correct one and it's like it's quite a it's a punchy image for sure but it's
0: you can dial it down
1: yeah you can dial it down and i just throw it into final cut put yep. it on and it's like if i didn't want to grade beyond that i don't have to it is just a really nice the colors are nice the contrast is nice the dynamic range is great that's yep. honestly, that's all you need 90 plus percent of the time, yep. especially when it's YouTube. I'm not trying to necessarily <laughs> an, impart a specific emotion from the colors of my videos, right? The, I'm, I'm more giving you information than I am giving you emotion. Yeah. Whereas filmmaking traditionally is, um, at, at least the gr- it's a balance of the
0: two. Yeah. I mean, I bake everything in. I never, I usually don't hmm. shoot log for YouTube. Interesting.
1: I mean, honestly, it's probably a smarter idea, but now that, um, I basically just trust these conversion LUTs, um, it's
0: essentially like baking it in. Yeah. Up. And I, just, d-
1: I don't know if you add it in final cut, but I basically just, I do. Yeah. We're so both final cut boys. Yeah. I throw them all into final cut. You select all the clips in the, not the finder in the, uh, in what is it? That's inspector. Like, but the inspector is the thing on the right, like command four is technically
0: at mm-hmm.
1: uh, the view. I don't know, whatever. I just select all the clips. Go into the metadata and click info. Oh, you mean then, the
0: browse? Yeah, the browse. Yeah,
1: the browser. Area. So yeah. I just select every C seventy clip, go over to the actual like info tab in Inspector, yep. and I just throw mm-hmm. the LUT on. And what's nice about that is now in the browse, it's not log anymore. Now you just see all exactly. the clips as if you had shot them not in log. Um, and then and you also get grade the on top added of it. yeah, and then I grade on top of it, and you get the added benefit of shooting log which is that you have more dynamic range so at least if i did accidentally overexpose the shot like right now no, i can see that this isn't overexposed but even if on my screen this was showing a little overexposed the log image would still actually be lower than that yeah so if i needed to i do have that extra wiggle room um but it's it's really not often that i need it
0: my only problem with the C70 is the screen and the lack of an EVF. I wish it had an EVF, really bad. And then the screen itself feels like it's gonna snap. It's gonna at break any off. Moment. I
1: yeah. Yesterday I was touching it and it's like it like wiggle. I don't understand because you know here we've got a an R the, and yeah, the th-
0: R is better. Yeah. This,
1: I've had this camera for I don't know three and a half years and it's I was never afraid of that. Yeah, screen. I've dropped it so many times. There was one time I was even filming while well, I was like one wheeling. I had a tripod at the bottom. And I had it like right at the ground in front of me and I think I (laughs) fell and I just smashed the camera into the ground and it's, it's totally fine. Whereas the C70, to my knowledge, I haven't dropped it yet, but you know, the, the, like the pin that you tie a rope to for like the sensor distance, Yeah, that threading thing, that's already broken off of my C70. I noticed (laughs) it was like wiggling and I was like, oh, that's weird. I guess it needs to be tightened. And I, and I threaded it off to have like a look inside. And the part that it threads into just fell into the camera. And so I was like, what? So who knows? Maybe it was loose and something, um, something hit it or like popped it out of spot. So, I mean, who cares? I've never needed that for my own. I'm going to take it out.
0: I'm going to take it out anyways. Yeah, but th- that's the thing—is it does feel it does feel like they skimped a little bit, or they did something to make it lighter. Well, they definitely I if- did. I think
1: part of it comes down to the fact that it's more or less a C three hundred Mark three. You know, a, a double the price more. You know, is, is it double? I don't know. A much more expensive camera, and they needed to cut cost somewhere, especially in order to give you an image quality that's comparable. Uh, yeah. So I think honestly, they just it's. Even though it's a higher end camera than an R5, um, I think the the cost of the C70 comes more from its internals than it does its body, whereas yeah. I think on an R5, it's it's one of the higher end cameras you can buy from Canon, so it does have a very sturdy body design. And that's really the worst part of this camera, is it's, it just, the plastics are not nice, and yeah, the top like handle is the match. worst plastic I've ever felt in my life.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it, it's really unnerving when you touch it. It's like I've never felt a texture uh, like this. If before. I if I
1: had it nearby, I'd grab it just to move my thumb on it because it's like it probably sounds like this. Like, eh, doesn't work on the I have mic, it. but you hear that? yeah, it's it's a very it almost feels three D printed in its you know
0: yeah it feels like chalk uh, like a chalkboard or something.
1: Yep. Yeah. So. It's a, it's a bummer. But again, for me, it's mostly going to be a studio camera. Um, it's, yeah, it's and, and, I like, I'll take it on everything. proper shoots for sure. But in the way that my, my R's and my M50s, those were always cameras that like, they're in my bag everywhere, no matter what. And I'm pulling them in, throwing them back, like shooting everything with it. That won't really be the case for me with the C70 as much. It's not going to be an always in my bag camera. So I don't mm-hmm. have to be as worried about it living to the same abuse, but I'm I am. I mean, I, I'm gonna be
0: I, using this for everything. I'm worried about it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I know. I I texted someone I know at Can. I was like, hey, uh, can you just like point me in the right direction of who to talk to about uh you know some of these issues? One of them is that some on-screen displays disappeared. I figured that out. But yeah, the other is that, yeah. that pin that just dropped in. I was like, I don't remember dropping it. Who knows? Maybe it was loose and I dropped something onto it and it pushed it down.
0: That's but, weird, man.
1: Yeah, it is weird. But other than that,
0: what a great <laughs> camera! Like, yeah, the the image looks incredible, and it's because it is plasticky. It is lightweight, so it's not that heavy to hold. Yeah, and, and it's not too tall, yeah. so um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not like I, you need a bag. bag that,
1: yeah, whereas the, uh, like a One DX, you needed a special bag that could support you know a, a camera with a grip attached. Um, yep even I have Peter McKinnon's bag here somewhere, a 1DX never fit in it, which I always thought was kind of funny because he <laughs> so iconically used the 1DX. I know he doesn't anymore, but um, yeah, what's great is the C70 fits. 1DX, it, it, yeah, it? it fits in all of my bags basically the way a 5D or similar sized camera would have. And yeah. so I'm like, great. It's it's smaller than my C100, which I don't know where that I know, is now, I lo- but
0: I, f- I feel like they should have just called it the C100 Mark III.
1: It it really, it I'm... I'm surprised they didn't because it, it in a lot of ways it is the successor to that camera. And
0: if it existed
1: yeah. back when I was shooting weddings, this w- still would have been the first camera I picked up. Ah, man, maybe an A7S3 now. I don't know.
0: Well, the I mean the Blackmagic 6K Pro is incredible, built-in NDs with a It's EDF. great, but I
1: like I mean when I shot weddings, when I first got a camera with autofocus, I think, yeah. you know what, actually, I think the M5 I started bringing out to weddings just for autofocus, and I had a like a speed booster that some random guy I found online made for me, and uh-huh. I was putting full-frame lenses <laughs> on it to try and make up for its lack of actual good image quality, but the first time I was able to track a bride coming down the aisle with shallow depth of field, I was like, yep. what a game-changer, because for years you're using a 5D, a 7D, whatever,
0: oh, yeah. with these
1: fast would- primes and low light trying... And basically in the edit, you could finder. only choose, yeah, you could only choose like, here's the two seconds of that, that I nailed the focus. And <laughs> maybe it's not the best expression. Maybe like the dad is sniffling a weird way or something. But then once I got autofocus, my edits got better because I could choose the best moment, not just the best um, technical moment on my end. Yeah. So totally. I wouldn't pick up a 6K uh, Pro right now. I think that camera's unbelievably good especially at the, the price. price
0: point i mean i yeah. have
1: other weird qualms with black magic but we, well they
0: talk about build quality with them i mean think, yeah falls exact- apart all the time, i just don't so. think
1: black magic needs to make two thousand dollar cameras you know <laughs> make that a three thousand dollar camera and put some of that money into a better plastic or a better physical a design because their internals are second to none i think i love that they're included raw that you have the variable size like it's a red camera it's
0: basically yeah yeah and it's they're new amazing. what is
1: it v5 or whatever color they're on is awesome it's so good but yeah. yeah i just i i require an auto i require and rely on autofocus so much now not even for t- continual autofocus i'll often like turn it on get focused turn it off just so i know for sure yeah it's i focus. love
0: that the little af on button is right next to the lens here mm-hmm. i've been using that a lot like i'll just yeah. you know lock on my face and then turn it off or whatever yeah um But it's a shame that like the autofocus, uh, like I love the layout of the R5 and the R6 and how you can just tap to track and like the eye tracking. Like, why can't they put all that in here? I don't know.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's the other qualm. It's like it is unfortunate that from a tech standpoint, the R5 and R6 are more advanced than the C70, at least in the way the auto function and stuff, auto function, autofocus and stuff like that (laughs) function. It it was a shame going from. I went from the R5 to the C70 um, in terms of like the order that I got them. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's like the C70 autofocus is good, but I, I why doesn't it have eye autofocus? And why isn't it as smart and snappy as these exactly. older cameras that I have?
0: Yeah, like the EOS R is mm-hmm. technically it's, better yeah, autofocus. Yeah, still better.
1: The only thing though that like I love face-only autofocus. There's nothing that drives me, me more nuts than when the camera loses your face or something like that. And it Goes it's just background. like, all right, here, you know, you've put your box right here. So that's what I'll try and focus on now. Or even if you step out <laughs> of frame or if you're tracking someone walking towards the camera and maybe they walk past the camera that, mm-hmm. you know, that when you see this, it's a very like low budget looking thing, where all of a sudden the camera now just racks focus to the background. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's much nicer to have it only doing the focus that you want it to, to do.
0: Yeah, why don't and they put that in the R5? It's just a software I don't know. Thing.
1: I mean, Sony's got the same, the issuer now. The FX6 and FX9 have face-only autofocus. The A7S 3 doesn't because it's not a cinema camera. But the FX3 also doesn't,
0: you know? Well, the it's, f- <laughs> the I FX3 just, is a weird camera.
1: It's just an A7S. It's just an A7S with some screw holes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's weird because I can't say anything bad about it because it is like one of the greatest cameras ever made. The A7S 3 is... I know it's unanimously so praised. It's Is there anyone that has had anything bad to say about it?
0: Armando, but it's just cause he doesn't like Sony.
1: <laughs> did he, what did he say about the a seven S three? I'm just joking. Yeah. Yeah. He does like Canon
0: a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think he just posted a FX three video and he, mm. he liked it a lot. I mean, it, it's a great camera, but I don't know. It just, it doesn't really matter anymore. Cause they're all kind of the mm-hmm. same at this point. they're all really good. Um, but yeah, it does matter because if you talk about it, you get more views. So,
1: Yeah, and, and that's the weird part with YouTube is like to an extent, you have to play the game. And <laughs> the game isn't very fun. But getting to like make YouTube videos and have fun making videos for a living is very fun. So Absolutely. in order to do the fun thing you love and turn it into a business, you have to balance uh, the joy and no joy aspects of it all.
0: At least if you're in our niche, that's why I'm thinking about leaving our niche. <laughs> so.
1: I, I think about it all the, I, maybe three times a week, I think about Do deleting all my social media. Well, I, I, so right now I am working on some more evergreen content, some stuff that I want to be able to be searchable for a long period of time, particularly because the thing I'm most exhausted about, uh, in YouTube is mm-hmm. making videos about making videos Mm -hmm. Whereas when I'm making a review (laughs) on a... a And the problem about that too isn't even just making videos about making videos. It's making videos about making videos for people who will then make videos about making videos. About making
0: videos. (laughs) I don't want to teach you
1: how to teach people to be a a YouTuber that teaches people. You know, it's like it goes on eternally to infinite. Um, Whereas I have way more fun making videos that are, you know, a random electric bike or something like that. I just... I love experimenting with things and I like making videos in the process and I find I'm more creative when I'm making videos about a thing than when I'm making videos about making videos. So, hey, listeners, yeah, exactly. feel free to steal this idea because I've been thinking about it for years and I've never done it. But I kind of want to go uh, down two lanes with my channel, which is, you know, make the videos I, I want to make, be it uh, product reviews that aren't camera gear related or be it, I don't know, lifestyle things. But then, uh, appeal to the niche where I basically will break down some of the effects or techniques that went into that other video. So then if you research, like, even if it's a camera review, you know, it's because I shot it on the other one. Then I now have all this content B-roll, if you will, um, this like talking point, but I'm also appealing to that, to the game, um, so some of the videos are long game. It's people are going to search this forever. Some of them are short, but they both will actually um, feed into the other. So in theory, at the end of a product review, it's like, hey, if you're interested in any of the effects that went into making this, we've also made a separate video where we break that down.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and
1: then in that breakdown, you can be like, hey, if you if you want to actually watch the full video, here's the link.
0: And yeah, I don't know if that uh, needs
1: to be two channels, but probably not.
0: No, you can do it on the same, I think, if it it made sense. Jevin did two channels. He was doing, like, travel films on one, Mm -hmm. and then he used all the footage from those travel films to talk about something, whether it's a product or whatever. And he was like, it's just too much work trying to manage two channels. So he just Mm -hmm. merged them together, and now he's doing, like, these overlanding videos that are, like, narrative storytelling films Mm -hmm. on his main channel. And then he's got content for the whole month
1: like wow yeah to talk about it, that yeah
0: yeah so and you know the views on those narrative films are like a quarter of the size of his normal reviews for but sure he's like i don't care like my fans like it i yeah, like it and it's also and worth
1: remembering that like just like that flying with a nine-month-old there is no saying that one of those videos doesn't pop, pop off, off two years from now because yeah. the, that content is always relatable two years from exactly. now your video on the a 7 three isn't going viral right <laughs> it's the, the interest in it is exactly. gone but if you make a video about i don't know making videos in the woods or i don't know if you go the craig adams route those types of videos <laughs> yeah. are relevant forever
0: it's true you know it's true yeah C- craig's a great example of it. we were talking about people oh, transitioning yeah. yeah yeah and i actually interviewed him about that and like it's it's pretty cool how he's transitioned uh do you know John Hill Yeah, yep. uh fiance? Good friends, yeah. Yeah, like I mean, he's about to hit a million subs and he just does mm-hmm. skateboarding videos. I mean, have you thought about doing that?
1: Yeah, I, I've actually this is funny. I <laughs> I started working on a YouTube video two years ago, uh, April. I basically want to make a video about how skateboarding changed my life. And the that the whole mentality of skateboarding is about self-improvement. It's very not um outward competitive you know there's a little bit x games and stuff like that um but in general everyone is so focused on like how do i be a better skateboarder than i was yesterday and then even you're at a skate park and you see someone who's let's say way worse than you and they're working on some trick all day as soon as they land it even if you could do that first try every try everyone is hyped it's just it's at its best and you know there are downfalls to the that whole subculture at its best though it's a very encouraging self-improvement type of landscape and so I actually filmed uh both an interview with John Hill and a bunch of b-roll of him skateboarding that eventually will live in this uh video that I want to do about skateboarding but I have other people that I still need to interview for it and now we're you know in pandemic land and it uh, doesn't quite work but I want to interview people that aren't still like skateboarders so that skateboarding isn't still their primary thing you know who There's some famous directors. Um, there's one I, that I can picture off the top of my head. Anyways, some like famous big filmmaking directors that also got their start doing skate videos. So I'd love to interview people like that. And then yeah. even people outside of filmmaking to just see how did the mentality of skateboarding um, benefit or maybe detriment. I don't really want to go down that road. Uh, but how did, it, how did it affect you as an adult now? I just find that fascinating because I really think getting into skateboarding as a kid is like the best thing I ever did. And I think everyone That's has awesome. a story as the thing as a kid was the best thing ever, but
0: that was mine and yeah. I want to share it. For me, it was uh, magic and then stop motion animation. Mm. I like got really into that with Legos and clay figurines. And, oh, stop motion. Uh, is, I've
1: only ever done a little stop motion It's is so
0: tedious. Oh yeah, I wanted to be an animator. I was going to go to school to like. Wow. I wanted to work, maybe work for Pixar, and so when I was a teenager, I had my dad That's gave cool. me After Effects. I think I had CS2 After Effects CS2, yep. and uh, yeah, I mean I got really into that. And the kids these days have access to so much. It's so insane.
1: so. I mean, you could do it all just on your phone. On any phone, every kid has. You could do that whole like <laughs> animation, stop motion. It, it is yep. doable. Actually, this video that I'm working on now, that hard to articulate video, mm-hmm. has a section where I teach... Teach? I don't know. I show something that I did in an edit that I learned from Kevin Perry in one of his nice. uh, like, stop motion-y magic special effects type videos.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, so, this entire interview we've been doing uh, with stop motion. Wait, uh, what? <laughs> Have we? a <laughs> really video, cool? we're just taking... 24 frames. Yeah. Right. Right. We're just doing it way faster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Jesse, I I feel like I've taken too much of your time. We could probably talk for another three hours. I'm sure we um, could. It's been two hours and I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show and for this great conversation uh we'll have to do it again sometime yeah dude soon, thanks so much
1: so. for having me this was a blast i'm sorry it took i don't what a year or something to make it happen but no not at all it's i'm glad fine. we got it, to even just sit down and chat like podcast aside
0: it was nice to you know chat it man. out both during and other. before absolutely sweet. as as two dads to another trying uh, to make this youtube thing uh work <laughs> that's right man all right everybody go subscribe to jesse get him to 200k Let's that'd do be it. really nice sweet peace out dude all right see ya I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Jesse Driftwood. Again, if you haven't already, subscribe to his channel. We want to see him hit 200,000 subscribers. Uh, Let's take him over the edge. Leave a comment, leave a DM on his account and just be like, hey, I heard you on the podcast, really enjoyed it. It would mean a lot to me if you would uh, let him know that you enjoyed this conversation. It was a real honor and uh, pleasure for me to to talk to him uh, and nerd out about all the things we did. Uh, If you have any suggestions or guest requests um, for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at Dave Mays. And let me know if, uh, if there's anybody that you would like to see on the show that I haven't had on already, or if there's any guests that you think would be fun to come back on again. That being said, I will see you guys next Tuesday. Once again, this is the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm Dave Mays. Have a great week.